The following is a hoop ball presentation. And we just hit her. 10 people put their heads on their pillow and go to sleep because no one cares. They want NBA action. Bryant with the save. Oh, you get a shot here. Final seconds. Bryant for the win. He has no game whatsoever, plays no defense, doesn't have the heart, the passion, or anything that comes with it. And you're asking me whether this oh, they hey. gave up too much? Please. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head, okay? NBA hoop ball listeners. Oh, oh, it's been a long time. It's been such a long time since we spoke last. It's me, your favorite, one of your favorites, one of many favorites, David Bracey here, host of the brand new Double Dribble podcast exclusively on hoop ball and available on iTunes and Spotify. I am so excited to kick off this inaugural episode and we're starting it with a boom, ladies and gentlemen, a big boom, a bang, a whole lot of things. Because today there was a trade, not just any old trade. It was a trade we've been talking about for some time now, a James Harden trade. But before I just absolutely lose it on the mic today, I would be remiss if I did not quickly and so, so happily welcome on to the program two of your favorites, two AT aliens. Joining me on the podcast today to discuss all things NBA, COVID-related, and otherwise, I have Mr. Allen and Mr. Brad. Guys, thanks for being on the program today. David, it's awesome to be on the inaugural episode. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm really excited to – I mean, I was already really excited to hop on with you two and, and talk some hoops. Um little uh, amplified right now because we are what like 30 minutes removed from the James Harden news breaking so this is going to be a lot a lot of fun to break down with y'all I don't I'm not going to speak a lot right now I'm just going to say it's a pleasure to be here in the company of greatness and I my mind is still blown so my composure will come to me as this episode goes on but thank I'm just happy to be on the first episode of Double Dribble And like I said, I'm so thankful for both of you guys hopping on in the podcast today. And with perfect timing, we plan this recording. Isn't it funny how things just fall into place? Uh, and speaking of falling into place, right now it looks like the Brooklyn Nets are going to be the team in, coming in first place in the James Harden race. Um, we had an absolute blockbuster go down this afternoon. What initially began as a trade for James Harden, sending him to the Brooklyn Nets with the Brook, or I'm sorry, with the Houston Rockets receiving Jared Allen and Karis LeVert quickly morphed into an absolute behemoth of a transaction here. So I'm going to very quickly just break it all down for you. At present, here's what the trade looks like. We have the Rockets receiving Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Radion's Kuruks, three Brooklyn first-rounders in 22, 24, and 26, one Milwaukee first, a 22 unprotected, and four Brooklyn first-round swaps. We have the Nets receiving James Harden, we have the Pacers, a third team involved, immediately receiving Karis LeVert and a second rounder via a reroute from the Houston Rockets. And 
in case you weren't happy enough with three, you got four of them things. Four teams involved. The Cavs immediately receiving in a reroute from the Houston Rockets, Jared Allen and Torian Prince from Brooklyn. Now, guys, I know those are a lot of names. Those are a lot of picks. There's a whole lot of things going down. Like I said, I'm going to pass it to you first, Alan, since I know Brad is still, you know, he he's, he's trying to work on that composure, and I, I respect him so much for that. But if he wants to get uncomposed, that that is completely fine because this is unprecedented. Okay, this is this is this is unbelievable. I'm 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 through the roof here. Okay, Alan, talk to me about your instant reactions as as this trade just continues to evolve. Well, yeah, I mean, you you definitely highlighted it with the end there. This is still like developing right now. I don't think that we. I mean, the big names are definitely out there: James Harden, Victor Oladipo, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. Like, we know that. We know all the big pieces, but there's still a lot developing here. I mean, this is this might end up being just in terms of just like movement of of picks and players. This might be one of the largest trades in NBA history in, in multiple different ways. And I don't think that I'm, I'm uh, that's hyperbole, right? Uh, hyperbole, right there. Like we have. Uh, I mean, we should talk about the Brooklyn Nets side of things. Obviously, that's like the main point here is that they have thrown all the chips into the table here with a core, presumably, of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. The most dominant, the, probably the most stacked from a talent perspective, big three in the league since LeBron, Bosh, and Wade. Um, somewhat reminiscent of the old Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, obviously, <laughs> of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. Uh, the Kyrie swapped in for Russell Westbrook is in this scenario. Uh, and yeah, they are probably, I don't think, I mean, you guys can check me if you think I'm wrong here. They, they got to be the favorites in the East with just those three guys alone. There's a lot to figure out around here. Like, I don't even know what their starting lineup looks like fully, but I mean, do you guys think that this, these are our new favorites in the East? They certainly have a shot. Um, I mean, just obviously from the headliners that you mentioned, and for anybody who was shocked that this happened this quick, uh, I know there was reports that came out today that said that basically before even Harden had his post-game speech yesterday, that basically said it's unfixable, the situation in Houston. They've already kind of been in conversation with Philadelphia, with Brooklyn about trading James Harden and seeing what deal they could work out. But as far as in the East, I mean – Philadelphia is still one of the best teams in the East right now, and they're playing great. Uh, Joel Embiid is playing at an MVP-type level. I know that from a couple of polls with ESPN and other sports publications that they have him as number one. But if Kyrie does come back, and we don't know when he's coming back, to have Kyrie, James Harden, and KD, and I'm sure that they're going to have lineups where at least one of them are always on the court, and I'm sure they're going to stagger Kyrie and James because they obviously are both ball dominant. But if they can work out chemistry and Kyrie's on board and he comes back, I mean, it, it just it makes sense that they would be definitely one of the favorites to come out of the East. Now, their post is still a question, especially with DeAndre Jordan not getting younger. They just traded away Jared Allen, who I thought should have started for them to begin with. But you still got Joe Harris. Uh, you lose Karis Silver, but in 
Dinwiddie's out to injury. So there's still some question marks on this roster, but top heavy wise, that's going to help them definitely make some noise in the East and give them a shot to get to the finals. Yeah, I think, you know, like, I mean, I, in my opinion, immediately, this makes Brooklyn, I mean, clearly a, a tremendous title favorite. I mean, it doesn't really matter who, in my opinion, at least, doesn't really matter who you put out there. If you have those three guys showing up for work, and at present, that's a pretty big if, given the Kyrie Irving situation that I know we're going to discuss here in a minute. If you have all three of those guys showing up to work to play basketball, and you find yourself in the Eastern Conference, things are going to be okay. Because as good as the Eastern Conference has gotten, it's not like that. There's no team in the league like that. I mean, grand, I'm sure we probably all think that if it ended up being the Nets and the Lakers in the finals, you might give the edge to the Lakers because clearly they have that veteran experience and you never count out LeBron James. That would be a mistake. And I'm not one to make many mistakes here. Uh, but as you look across the East, I mean, do we think that that Brooklyn threesome is better than the Miami Heat? Of course. Do And the Miami Heat got there. Do we think that the three-headed monster in Brooklyn is better than the Greek freak? I mean, I might go with the Hydra on this one. You know, I, I just look across the landscape of the East, and I think if those three guys are are all on the same roster and all on the same court at the same time, it's going to be trouble. Doesn't matter who is on the other side of that basketball, it's going to be trouble. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's just – like, they, there's no starting five in the league that compares to this one, clearly. Assuming that you have all three of these guys bought in and on the court together at the same time. And like Brad said, you rounding out that starting lineup with Joe Harris and DeAndre Jordan, two guys who aren't going to command a whole lot of usage. Joe Harris, I mean, I don't think he could be a more perfect fit along those three dudes. You just throw him out on the perimeter. I mean, who – he's going – I mean, he was already wide open, just <laughs> – when it was just KD and Kyrie, um, the, the the gates are like they're off the hinges. That's how open he's going to be now. I mean, he's he's going to be a critical part of their plan. I mean, uh, uh, clearly Brooklyn made the investment in him that they did in the off season, knowing that this was going to be a possibility for them. And the question for uh, for Brooklyn just immediately becomes, how do they round this team out? Because Karis Levert is a big part of it. Spencer Dinwiddie's still on this team, but he's not playing this season. Uh, Jared Allen, gone. Torian Prince and Rodion's Kouriks, like, those are, I mean, Kouriks wasn't playing much, but Prince was definitely getting minutes at the three and, and mostly the four. You know, like, just looking at this roster now, there, there's probably going to be a lot of reliance on Jeff Green uh, to, to play some of the, those big man minutes, uh, particularly at the four, maybe it's a small ball five. Uh, Landry Shamit and Bruce Brown are, are probably going to see expanded roles in that backcourt unit. Um, Timothy Luwalu Cabarro, I think I got, I think I nailed that one. That might be my first time getting his name down. He's going to be uh, probably uh, might be uh, of all their bench players might have the the higher highest usage with his ability to stretch it. And then you know there's also you know there, there's uh, Nicholas Claxton too, uh, second year guy out of Georgia. He uh, you know, he, he becomes the backup center whenever he gets healthy. He might even and he's he's pretty good. Like he might even push DeAndre Jordan for some minutes too. So, I mean, that's that's an interesting bench unit, but it's not nearly obviously as deep as they were before. Uh, 
it's just going to be really fascinating to see how they put all these personalities together. Um, how they, how Steve Nash, who is really going to be thrown into the fire now to figure things out on the fly, how he's going to organize all these guys and match up with the Milwaukee's and Phillies in the East with these title expectations. Yeah. And there could be some more moves to be made. There could be a free agent signing at some point throughout the season that could help round out and give them some depth. But I know we had some questions going into the season regarding the Lakers last year because we weren't really sure about their bench. And obviously we saw how their bench rounded into form. And with the players they have on the roster, you mentioned everyone. And they definitely have players who can play, who can fit on this team. It's going to be up to Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, Amari Stoudemire, and that staff to basically put together a plan that they can follow and define each role for each player that they can buy into and believe in that's really going to propel them forward. Talent enough will get them to the big dance. Like, that's no question. But as far as can you get everybody to buy in to to their role, to assimilating into this offense, letting them know their role in the offense, and obviously on the other side of the court, defense, how are you going to set up? What lineups are going to use? What are the rotations as – you know, this early part of the season has the Nets six and six right now. A lot of these players have gotten, you know, quite a few minutes in this early part of the season, which is great because they've been on the court and the staff knows what they have with the players that they do have remaining. So now it's just fitting the puzzle that is James Harden, who is going to be a big piece in this puzzle and then basically a, developing a plan to get to where they want to go. It may not come together all this year and I know that we talked about them being the, the favorites coming out of the East now but there's still some things chemistry wise structurally that they got to work through and it may not be a this year thing but certainly next year especially if Kyrie's bought in and then you have in a full off season, a full training camp depending on how normal things are in society go they will no doubtably and LeBron will be a year older no doubtably they will have a wonderful chance to win it all next year. Uh, but they have enough to get into the dance this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the title contending aspect, they might be considered favorites by the public, but like, I think you may, like, I think you may, I think uh, I, I tend to agree with you that it's going to be tough for them to get all the way there, right? Like, you know, like think of the Miami Heat, in their first season together, when you were trying to mesh LeBron, Wade, and Bosch together, they had those grand, lofty expectations. And yeah, they made it to the finals, but they were outplayed by a team in Dallas who just featured a lot more cohesiveness, like familiarity with one another. Um, like that, that ultimately wound up winning the day. It, it's it's just it's it's a fascinating angle. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm I'm still processing it all here too. I mean, it's just. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the, what the general public has to say about, you know, their chances. But it's if, if LeBron, Wade and Bosch couldn't pull it off in year one. I mean, what are their chances? That's true. Yeah. And they were talking about, you know, five, six, seven titles. Uh, and I don't know how long this band will be together, 
going forward. So we're not going, they don't have the expectations and obviously they're not putting forth the expectations on themselves that LeBron, D. Wade, and Bosch did when they were announced they were going to be teammates in Miami. But certainly they're going to make some noise. And I know <laughs> they have a somewhat of a big three in Milwaukee, but it doesn't compare to this. I know that Embiid has been playing at a high level, and they still have a lot of pieces that were together last year, but they still do have a new coach and some new pieces to assimilate, but they look good out the gate. Miami is still Miami, but they have some injuries on that team. So it's not going to be a cakewalk in the East, but like I said before, top heavy as far as when you look at their roster, they they have enough to gain admission. Let's just say that, gain admission. They ain't got a flash ID that much they may be able to purchase you know without showing an id um like some other teams here in the east like you know who we cover the atlanta hawks yeah i i agree you know i i think both you guys made great points and uh i'm not i'm not crazy about the rest of the roster i will say at present i mean i don't think anybody would alan i thought you you covered it you know excellently all the guys that they have are all good, respectively, at certain things. But there's not any one name from that cobble of guys that really jumps out to you and says, okay, they're going to be all right. Because if there was one name, it would be the one guy who's out for the season, and that's Dinwiddie. So I am curious to see what they do to try to round out the rest of this roster. Um, I know that they do have some uh, mid-level exceptions and other things that they can try to do, disabled player exceptions, et cetera. Uh, so I'm curious to see what they're able to do in that regard. I'm also curious to see if P.J. Tucker continues to play for the Houston Rockets. I mean, they were going through a pretty tumultuous situation with his contract prior to Harden's departure. I know there was conversation about him potentially departing with Harden to Brooklyn. Uh, he does have a background and relationship with Kevin Durant. They have that University of Texas connection. So I, I wonder, and if that is the case, that definitely would kind of make a lot more sense for why they're why the Nets would choose to just dump um, Allen the way that they did. Because in my personal opinion, Jared Allen is definitely a better player than DeAndre Jordan. I know DeAndre Jordan is one of their boys, so that's kind of the way it goes in the league. That's no surprise to anybody here. But, yeah, they're very, very thin in the front court, And you are going to be going up against Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo's and big guys who are going to make you pay uh, in the Eastern Conference alone, not even going in through the West, you know, where you got Anthony Davis just waiting for you. So, you definitely need to answer some questions there. And I think P.J. Tucker is a guy who has proven he, he can handle and, and bang with the best of them down low. Um, I'm not saying he stopped Anthony Davis. I don't think anybody would make that mistake. We all saw that playoff series. Um, but he, he did a pretty damn good job, in my opinion. So I wonder what the Nets continue to do um, going forward. And for the other teams involved, I mean, the Cavs, you know, congratulations. You got Jared Allen out of was probably going to be like a, a second-round pick in, in the 20s. That's definitely good for them. Uh, I'm not crazy about the Cavs, so I'm not going to spend too much time on them. Um, and for the Pacers, as far as, you know, flipping Oladipo for Karis LeVert, beautiful, beautiful. Karis LeVert is a young, up-and-coming star who is very similar to the mold of an Oladipo, um, but perhaps you have less injury concern with LeVert than you do Oladipo. Again, that's kind of a pick-your-poison situation as far as I'm concerned. But I definitely do like the potential of Levert to continue to develop into that culture that they're recreating in Indiana. I like the way he fits with that roster. Um, and for the Rockets, you're bringing in a guy who was an all-star, a guy who is very similar to the backcourt tandem that John Wall was accustomed to prior to him being on the Houston Rockets, and uh, another combo guard. 
Um, so I think if Old Depot, you know, again, it's about these guys showing up and wanting to be where they are. If Old Depot is willing to buy in, I think that the rest of the Rockets will. You, you heard the comments from John Wall and Boogie Cousins. They uh, feel no ways about James Harden's departure. So for them, it's business. These guys still believe that they have a lot left to give in their career. And I think in their personal opinions, James Harden was hindering them from doing exactly that, continuing their career. Um, so now everybody kind of gets a hard reset here in a bunch of different ways. And hopefully it pans out for all these respective franchises because, I mean, this was this was a crazy trade. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm still trying to like, I mean, we all agree that, that Brooklyn has the most questions going forward. I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what Indiana's big plan is here because they, they've come out to like a really hot start this season under uh, Nate, Nate Bjorkson, Bjorkren. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's revamped their whole offensive approach. You know, we, we were talking, the three of us were talking a little bit before uh, we went on air. This sort of raises questions about Miles Turner, his future, just from simply the point that, like, we all, everyone knew that he was on the market in the offseason, as was Oladipo after some of the comments came out. Remember those offseason stories about him approaching opposing players during warmups and saying, like, hey, can I I play with y'all? Like, you know, like, like undercutting his teammates in front of him. There was plenty of stuff out there about Oladipo. Uh, the <laughs> kind of sowing discontent in the locker room, and it was no secret that Indiana wanted to move off of him. He's gone. Turner was one of those names too. Uh, do you guys? I mean, I don't know what he, where he falls into place uh, in all of this, but um, you know, it, it'll be cool to see how Levert uh, factors in here. I think he'll end up playing a good deal of, of point guard with Malcolm Brogdon, who. I mean, I know that Brogdon's like the starting point guard there, but he's been, uh, I, he's definitely, I think this might be the coaching staff, uh, their decision. We, we've seen the Pacers sort of have a, a a larger sort of team-centric approach to setting others up. Uh, Brogdon's been doing a lot more spot-ups this year and hasn't been running the pick-and-roll nearly as much as he did last season because that's sort of, he's much better at kind of operating in that combo guard to uh, shooting guard type of role. So like Levert's a pretty decent guy to run your offense for, for spurts. And it'll be interesting to see just, I don't know how he meshes with all those players. He's not quite the shooter that Oladipo was. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, they, they, I think that they have more questions than the Houston Rockets do. Yeah, I mean, as far as with Indiana, you're absolutely right. We want to see what's going to happen with Miles Turner, especially because TJ Warren is still out. And once he does come back, I'm assuming Miles Turner will probably come off the bench. I don't know how that dynamic is going to work out. But obviously with Brogdon being their leading scorer, you you, you get rid of Depot. You have Levert now. And they have the young pieces there. You have a bunch of people who are, you know, bought in defensively there. They all can, you know, pass, shoot, and initiate for each other. So it's going to be a very interesting situation. I wanted to go back to Brooklyn real quick. I know we talked about the lack of size in the front court. I have seen a lot of KD at the small ball five this year for Brooklyn. So that might be something to look at going forward. I think they definitely need another body just so, you know, KD doesn't necessarily have to do all that banging, especially come playoff time against the Embiid's and whatnot in the Giannis's in the East. But they, I have seen that happen. But I know David glossed over this team. As far as with Cleveland, how many centers are you going to have in your roster? <laughs> I mean, I mean, how many – I mean, we're talking about Brooklyn with uh, maybe needing a couple more bodies in the front court. You know, Indiana, they're good in the front court. 
like Cleveland, like what what are you doing here? I mean, like the center of attention. Like what kind of puns can we throw out about them? You mean you still have Nance? They let Tristan Thompson go, which was uh, I'm glad that happened, but they still got Andre Drummond, and now you get Jared Allen. I mean, it's just. I mean, Toy and Prince, I could see, you know, having a veteran presence on the roster there. So that could help some of the forwards like Okoro, uh, younger guys like Sexton and Garland, who need, need, need some older guys who've been in the league, have some tenures, been on some different teams and some other organizations with work ethic and being a professional. But, I mean, we said this before coming on the air, Drummond has is, is got to be on the move. I mean, he's having a great beginning of his year. I mean, obviously, you know what he's going to provide. He's going to score around the rim. Uh, he's going to block shots. He's going to rebound on a high clip. Uh, he's even hit a three or two this year, which has been kind of shocking. Uh, so his value is still pretty good. So I'm not sure what Cleveland has up their sleeve, but I don't think that this is the last move that Cleveland will make going forward. Uh, so we'll look at teams who are in desperate need of a front court presence uh, trying to render services for Andre Drummond. And I could, you know, create a short list of those teams right now on the spot, but that might be a conversation for another day. But we watch out for them because obviously it's not a huge Cavaliers following. Let's just be real. And then it's, it's back as far as Houston. It's, uh, yeah. On the Cavs fans there, man. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm still kind of, I'm still kind of heated. We lost to them. Let's talk about the Hawks. I'm still kind of a, <laughs> a little ticked off about that game, but as far as Houston, Depot in Houston, I think it's going to work. I thought Depot's looked really good early on this year. He definitely seemed motivated, and he seemed to, you know, buy into what was going on in Indiana because he's not a selfish player. He's never really been a selfish player, in my opinion. So I think that him going to Houston, he still has that chip on his shoulder with other guys that have a chip on his shoulder. I really think it could be something great in Houston, potentially. Not great as in championship contending, but – Surprise some teams, raise some eyebrows in the West as a whole bunch of guys who have kind of seen they were disrespected by James Harden on the way out. Uh, talked about, oh, this is not a team that can win in m- more words than not from James Harden. So that this is a team with a chip on his shoulder, and Depot plays with a chip on his shoulder. And then you have Wall, you have Boogie, Christian Wood, who's played his entire career with a chip on his shoulder, and now he's got his money and still feels like he has something to prove. There's a lot of hungry pieces, and you have a young coach in Steven Silas uh, in Houston. So I I think it's going to be really fun in Houston to watch. I feel like they haven't been as good as they could could be at this point because of maybe James Harden sandbagging, and that's some of the narratives that are out right now. But out of everyone – Definitely want to see what's going to happen, who else are they going to add in Brooklyn, and what's going to happen with Andre Drummond. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Brad, because Drummond is definitely stuck in the middle of a bad situation um, in Cleveland with all those big bodies that they have on the roster. And I would imagine that the reason that he ended up on that roster is because he saw all that money that they offered him and knew if he really didn't want to be there anymore, they'd be able to make that happen uh, regardless. So don't blame him for getting that check. Uh, definitely don't blame him there. But, yeah, the Cleveland Cavaliers, ugh, yeah, sorry to any Cleveland fans who are listening. Um, I hope you continue to listen because we're not usually this hard on the Cavs. Well, I guess I can't even say that because this is the first ever episode. But I, I, I stand by my yuck. I stand by my yuck. On a, on a separate but related note, the the biggest question, obviously, outside of, what the roster looks like for the Brooklyn Nets 
um, lies in the situation around Kyrie Irving. And without without going too deep down the rabbit hole, because I believe that that may be what led us here to the situation with Kyrie, um, there is very clearly something going on with Kyrie Irving um, as an individual, as a basketball player. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure what it is. I, re- I really do not know. Uh, I thought that Deontay Wilde did an excellent job kind of discussing it on uh, First Things First earlier today. He said that to him, Kyrie Irving is going through an identity, not an identity crisis, because a crisis is a negative situation. And obviously, with all the things involving mental health, especially in this country, we never want to disparage somebody when we don't have all the facts, especially. But he was going through an identity conflict. And the conflict is when you are a professional athlete, but that's what you've been your whole life. Maybe not always a professional, but an athlete. And at some point in time, as you continue to walk down that path of your professional career, your athletic career, what you previously invested a lot of mental space, a lot of belief, a lot of love into starts to change. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. I think in this situation, we should say it's for the better. Now, should he have been out at a party? No. But is he the only one doing that type of stuff? No, he's not. Very clearly, his new teammate has been doing that all summer, okay? And it was a very different type of party if, you know, what I'm saying. But the situation is Kyrie Irving very clearly feels very passionately about a lot of the things going on in this country. He told all those guys on a Zoom call before the season even, I mean, in in the middle of June, told these guys, hey, I'm willing to give it all up for social justice. Like, I'm willing to do that. I believe he stands by that. I believe that the things that happened recently in the Capitol and elsewhere across the country were very unsettling for him. And I don't think anybody listening to this would blame him, you know. But at the end of the day, regardless of all those other circumstances and situations that are present, you have an obligation to your teammates, to your franchise, and to the contract you signed. Because that's the part about being a professional athlete. You have to be a professional. You got to go to work when you don't want to be at work, okay? You got to miss parties that you wish you were the center of, okay? It happens, but that is part of being a pro. And it, it is a situation where he no longer desires to be a pro. I don't think anyone can hold that against him, but it's about going about things the right way. And I hate to say that. I hate to say that but you are compromising so many other individuals in more ways than one with that type of behavior. You're compromising those teammates and the franchise that has invested in you millions of dollars, as well as their belief, okay, in you and what you bring to the table. And then if that video, and again, big if true, if that video is from a recent outing, had that video not come to light, you potentially put all of your teammates at risk. And there are guys across the league who have been dealing with this on a much more real and present level, most specifically Carl Anthony Towns. And I'm not, you know, his press spokesperson by any means, but I'm sure guys like that who have already lost so much see things like that, and it does not sit well with them. 
Perception is reality in this country. We know that very clearly, very clearly. What you perceive is what you believe, okay? And Kyrie needs to think about how his actions could be and can be interpreted. What are your guys' thoughts on this? I wanted to jump in real quick because I wanted to make another point about how his actions are perceived. He is also the vice president of the Players Association for the NBA. That's not a good look that the vice president is acting in such manner. Now, like we said, we don't know what all is going on in his personal life between the ears and whatnot. But clearly is enough to make him step away from his job where he's making 30 plus million dollars to make such a statement or not make a statement about what exactly is going on with him and why he has to have this absence. I know we talked before we come on air that there's some rumblings that he may not have been crazy about the hire of Steve Nash, which could speak to this absence, but it wasn't like he wasn't being utilized effectively in Steve Nash's off uh, offense uh, with the, with the, with the Brooklyn Nets. The only bad thing that we've seen from Kyrie is that his shot has been really streaky early on in the season. And it's the beginning of the season. And he hadn't played in a while. He has been off the court. So that makes that makes sense. But this absence and for a person who really is leery of the media and can really trying to take control of his narrative, which he may have learned from LeBron, about just not trying to have the media distort his image or his message and whatnot. He's really doing a terrible job with his actions and not speaking up on his actions or at least letting the organization or his teammates know what is actually going on. And maybe they do know and they're keeping it tight lip. We don't know that. We don't know all the pieces of this story, but we just know that it looks bad from the vice president of the NBA Players Association. But I'm sure that in due time, he will make it known what exactly is going on. We know he's very, very philanthropic. He wants to be a social activist, and I love that he wants to use his platform to cultivate change and change mi- change minds in this country with his influence. But if that's what you want to do, say it. Don't just ghost out. Uh, and and if you don't want to play this, if you don't want to play this game anymore, I know there's plenty of people who play overseas or in the G League who would love to have your roster spot and take full advantage of this. So. That's all I'm going to say about it now, because like I said, we don't know all the pieces and I don't want to, you know, put words in people's mouths and say, say like, hey, this is what it is. But for a person who is really leery about what the media is going to say and, and how they're going to portray him, this is not a good look. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've I've really reserved judgment, not on the whole situation, just because I just... I just don't understand any of it, which is by design, because like we've all said, Kyrie hasn't said anything about the personal reasons. And based off of what we've heard from Steve Nash in the the statement that Sean Marks, the GM of the team, released yesterday uh, regarding the NBA's investigation into the video, I don't know how much they know. It doesn't, you know, they, they aren't like... It's just it's it's the lack of the context from like their words that it gives me the most pause. Like they're not even saying like yeah, like Nash was like yeah, we talked and everything's cool. Like we understand where he's coming from and we, we leave it all. We're just gonna leave it to him. Like we we understand. Like it's just like yeah, we talked and it's just gonna stay in house and no real details beyond that. So I just you know it, it, it's created. It, Kyrie, he's been he he's been 
very active in, in, in the social justice movement, as we, we have alluded to. We know that he is politically active. He's very interested in giving back to his community and lending his voice to causes that he believes in, which is admirable. And it's part of the reason why we're, you know, we're, we're attributing some of the, his absence to some of the stuff that's going on in the news right now, because it's sort of lined up time-wise, but I mean, we still don't even know, <laughs> honestly. There's the unsubstantiated report about him not being thrilled about Steve Nash. He wants to stay away because of that. I mean, maybe that's the reason. I don't, and, and I just, who knows? No one, I don't even know, uh, you know, I don't even know if the team knows. But they did not feel that whatever's going on with him, they clearly did not. I mean, it will be fascinating to see whether or not he signed off on the James Harden trade. Because surely we all believe that Kevin Durant did, right? Like Kevin, this is KD and Kyrie's team. This is a gigantic move. You would think that they would consult both of them. And with Kyrie's absence like this, did he sign off on James Harden coming here? And if he didn't, how does that lend itself to this extended absence? I mean, that that that's sort of where the story is going to end up going to. Because I, I think we all, if you're a star of this team, you want to have some sort of say in how this is all unfolding, right? Exactly. Uh, and the thing, and reports are coming out that apparently KD and Kyrie aren't, aren't even speaking at this point. So I don't really know how much... Uh, Kyrie was consulted because, I mean, you got to be there to be consulted with. And if you're not returning, you know, your text messages to your boss, who was your coach, why would they reach out and say, hey, I know you're not here in the building right now, but we're thinking about doing this trade. What is your thoughts? Do you really think that's going to um, <laughs> lure him to text them back? And then it just be like sneak it in, like, oh, by the way, where have you been? We've been missing you. Yeah, I I just feel like with the reports coming out that they haven't spoken, I don't know if he was consulted. And as far as his feelings, he hasn't put them out. So uh, that's, you know, he's SOL in that regard. It's just, you know that, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's tough to wrap your brain about, especially uh, your brain around, especially because this all accelerated because of James Harden. He was the external force that you know, that caused this trade today. If he didn't make the comments that he did in last night's post game conference uh, press conference, he, he'd probably still be on the Rockets at this exact moment. It was clearly accelerated. So you would you would have to think that there would be some sort of line of communication to Kyrie to get this done today with the pressure ramping up. And you know, the, all the reports too were that were being played out in the media before this trade went down was about the Philadelphia. And, and and Houston's negotiations. That was we were seeing that that jockeying play out in the media, with no mention of Brooklyn other than they were one of the two teams in consideration here. It's just that's that's going to become the story here. And it doesn't really matter what Irving's reason was before. It's just what role did he play in this this franchise altering decision? And I will say this before David gets it back. Um... I know the uh, adult venues in New York area are going to be happy for uh, James Harden to be there. Clap, clap, clap. Some stimulus money is about to come in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that is a definite truth. And uh, I'm sure the... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that the, the clubs and establishments there will welcome James Harden 
with open arms uh, to each and every island that they have to offer. Um, and I'm sure he will visit each and every, not every island. I mean, good God. We, we, we know who he is. So, and that, uh, that can be a problem in itself. Without, you know, going too much <laughs> into Brad's uh, standing ovation. Um, clap, clap, clap. I, I, <laughs> I, I will say, I will say, in regards to Kyrie Irving's involvement or potential involvement, hypothetical, theoretical involvement, in the acquisition of James Harden. As far as I'm concerned, if you weren't at home when I started cooking, you don't get to tell me what's for dinner, okay? <laughs> and if you haven't been answering the phone and you haven't been answering my texts, my DMs, whatever means they have used to try to get a hold of Kyrie Irving, hey, that's on him, you know? Do not disturb. And he has been on that well. now. So... When he comes back to work, if he comes back to work, and let's hope he does, because I would definitely love to see that show that they got in Brooklyn. Good God. When he comes back, I mean, he just needs to understand, man, it's not personal. It's business, okay? And if you take it personally, then that is a personal problem, okay? Because, like I said, that's business. You know what KD came there for? To win. You know what James came there for? To win. What do you come to work for? Because at present... It does not seem like it is to win. You don't come to work at all. At all. Okay? Not even a – it's a no-call, no-show from you for how many days now? Weeks in a row almost. I mean, come on. This is – this is, and that's what I said. That's where that professional piece comes into play. You know, that's, that's, that's unacceptable. So if Kyrie doesn't like it, you know, I, I, he can burn some sage in the parking lot, you know, hope for some, for some positive chakra to come his way. Uh, but uh, that roster is not going to change. And I this, the Brooklyn Nets may not have brought in James Harden because of Kyrie Irving, but they sure as hell brought him there because of Kevin Durant. I can mm-hmm. promise you that. I can promise you that. So that the would... rest at present is up to Kyrie. Yeah. No, I mean, there's way more familiarity with James Harden on the Durant side of things, uh, Mike D'Antoni, who's been his head coach for years on that, uh, that staff in Brooklyn, you know, he played a role at least in some capacity. Um, but like, if, but David, I mean, if, if, you, if Irving wasn't consulted, like you, like, like, like you think that he might not have been, I can't see how that would encourage him to come back quicker. Yeah. And that's a very fair point. I mean, that's a very fair point. Um, but again, it's a situation where do we think he was going to come back if they immediately start skidding out of playoff contention? Because we got to remember, this is a this is a shortened season. It's getting shorter and shorter by the day with all these guys falling by the wayside in safety protocol. You know, there, you, you don't have a whole lot of time to play around like that. And the last thing you want to do is get the short end of the stick and end up a little bit too close to the play-in pool. I don't think that they're going to have to worry about being in a play-in game, but you don't want to be on the far end of the playoff picture and draw a heavy hitter in an opening round when you may still be trying to round your roster into form. And definitely we think that's probably going to be the case for them now. I mean, we're, we're approaching the midpoint in January. You know, and playoffs are supposed to be kicking up here sometime in you know, March, April. So again, it, we're gonna we're gonna see what everything looks like. But at present, I mean, if Kyrie Irving were to come back tomorrow or try to, he's gonna be in protocol for probably a minimum of ten days. Not to mention the potential for suspensions. If, like I said, big if true, 
those videos turn out to be recent. He's he's looking at many, many games sitting on the sidelines. And I think the Nets were, again, stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's do we bet on Kyrie coming back? And if we do, do we think that we can tread water, truthfully? And I hate to say that about a team that has Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the roster, but do we think we can tread water in the Eastern Conference long enough to see how that pans out? And I don't think the Nets could afford to, to run that risk. No, especially no, especially being six and six right now. Absolutely not. And I just I'm just envisioning and sorry to cut you off, Al. I just envision it right now, KD and James before you know James got to the podium last night. I'm like, man, KD, man, they think I'm tripping down here. I've been sad they want to be down here. And he could be like, Man, you're not tripping. We got a brother up here burning sage and then not showing up for work and and skipping out on 30 million. Man, just go ahead and say you don't want to be here, man. Go ahead, man. We're we going to work this trade out. I heard they've been, they been talking about you in the front office. And then, bam, today happened, and all the dominoes have, uh, have fallen down into place to get James Harden to Brooklyn. And you're absolutely right, David, and you guys have spoken to it, that with Kyrie being out, with the roster being how it was, and it wasn't a bad roster. Obviously, they had depth. How long can they sustain these murky waters when everybody in the East has, has gotten better? You know, the Knicks are better. And I'm, you know, and I'm not mistaken, the Knicks actually beat the Nets this year. The Hawks are better. The Cavs are better. The team who, who Pacers look good early on. You still got, you know, the Bucks. You still got the Celtics. The 76ers look really good. Miami is around 500 right now, maybe a game below, but they're dealing with injuries. It's only a matter of time before they get it together. So they can't afford to kind of just sit and wait for the life preserve that is Kyrie Irving to just come out and save them. Um, and when you already do have a Kevin Durant, you're, so a move had to be made, had to be made. And it's interesting too, because again, like this, the impetus for this trade definitely started on the Houston side of things with, you know, Harden airing the dirty laundry the way he did that, that accelerated things. But in a way, James Harden is pretty damn good Kyrie Irving insurance. If he decides that he's not interested in coming back, you got those. If you just have a team with just KD and James Harden, that is that that duo by themselves, I'd argue, is even stronger than the KD Kyrie duo was before. Now, obviously, you won all three. You're the Brooklyn Nets, but you know, it's just it, there's it's just so fast. It's so fascinating how this all came together because it's just if Kyrie is just done and he's not going to come back. I mean, Brooklyn has completely revamped their team, no, definitely lacking in depth, but they can still be competitive with just those two. Yeah, unquestionably, they can still be incredibly competitive with those two. And to your point, Alan, you know, I think it, you could argue it's a more natural fit for the James Harden, Kevin Durant pairing than the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant pairing. And in my personal opinion, James Harden's perfect partner has, in my mind, always been a guy like KD, a guy who you can run that pick and roll with because he's big enough to catch a noob. He's big enough to roll to the rim, but a guy who also has to make the defense respect his ability to step back and hit a shot. That's why a lot of us were so high on Christian Wood this season, because we knew he was going to be playing with James Harden. And we thought, well, if James Harden did what he did for Clint Capella, what is he going to do for Christian Wood, who is much more skilled at this point than Clint Capella is offensively. And we saw it in flashes, you know. We, we definitely saw it in flashes. So imagine what that's going to look like with Kevin Durant. I think 
it, it is the best insurance policy available on the market. You know, it's it's got, it's got some high premiums. I mean, <laughs> it's got some high premiums, $114 million on your payroll between three players, okay? I believe that the New York Knicks as a whole have not $92 million payroll, okay? So very clearly we know who the kings of New York are when it comes to the bill and the check at the end of the meal, okay? But the question is, is everybody going to get the meal that they came there to eat? Because that meal is a championship. At least for two of those guys, I know for certain, the one thing on their mind is the Larry O'Brien trophy. For one of the other guys, one of the more mercurial ones, to use a word I'm sure he would appreciate, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really do not know. Shout out to the adult establishments in the New York area. About to have it overtaken. Again, I'm just going to throw that out there again. <laughs> got get, we got to circle oh back to the big ones. The, the big points here. <laughs> yeah. The biggest story. The trick. It's oh an under, underlying story underneath this, guys. I, just, I mean, it's just right underneath the surface. I mean, where, I'm just saying, where was James Harden before going to trade camp in Houston? Where was he? Clubs. Oh. After I know after the season, after season, if they don't work, if, if if obviously if they don't get to where they want to go this season, obviously coming together, what 10, 10 11 games in for some teams, uh, yeah, they're gonna have some offseason meetings at some adult establishments, and they gonna talk over this offense and what plans they have going forward, and even say, hey, you know, Kyrie, we gonna even write in how we can do some activism while we are on the court, you know, killing things offensively. Like and so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun and I really like the point that you made, David, about just how great of a fit it will be for James Harden and Kevin Durant, and obviously James Harden's physicality as well is going to you know because they're gonna have to collapse the paint on James Harden because that's what they do because he's just a bull in the china shop when he gets in the lane, and I think it will even open up some more opportunities for KD. And obviously Kyrie, if he's available, but I think Joe Harris is going to just be the biggest benef- benefiter of, of this as well. Because like Alan said, he's going to be wide open, wide open. And and if there's games where he's getting you 20, it, if he's, it's going to be a stat and it's going to be a stat I watch if they can all come back on the court. Games where Joe Harris scores 18 plus. They're probably going to be undefeated this year. I'm just going to just go ahead and put that out there as a little little precursor. Just say, hey, watch for Joe Harris. He's the X factor on this team. If he's scoring 18 plus with all of them on the court, they're probably not going to lose a game. Yeah, it'll be really cool to see. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, especially if Kyrie's in that lineup. I mean, he he he's going to be so hard to cover these guys. Um, I mean, Joe Harris is. Joe Harris is 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 a, is a two way guy in his own right. He's really improved defensively. Uh, you know, he. he I, I've been watching. Uh, I watched a good amount of Nets games this year, just at a pure interest of the team itself. And then obviously they had two matchups against the Hawks that I was glued to. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get beat on the on the defensive side of the ball, which it was not always the case with him. Um, he, he's clearly improved there, and I think that's going to be um, going to add to that X factor element is that he can he he can stay out there with any of those guys and really hurt you from deep. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, the, the questions are about where this team stands is, is going to be held up until we know more though about the full, not even like filling out the roster on the bench with their, with their, with their except with their injury exceptions that they got from Dinwiddie and the mid-level exception that they have already. But like, just of course the Irving situation, it's just, it's going to be, 
I don't think there's any doubt that Brooklyn is on, on the top of the league pass watch list now. Am I right? Like that's that's just <laughs> they, they've overtaken everyone at this point. Oh no doubt. Oh no doubt. Yeah, yeah, we're tuning in. Yeah, we're tuning in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you know, I mean, as big as a headline as as this has been, and I mean, like I said, you know, we had such excellent timing to record this today. Uh, another headline that's been absolutely dominating the NBA uh, newsroom. It's definitely been the coronavirus. Uh, I know. Oh, surprise. What? What? Coronavirus is crazy. Yeah, not very surprising. Um, unfortunately for the NBA, they are absolutely going through it right now. Recently, as recently as yesterday, they had a board of governors meeting to decide on what next steps were going to be to try to alleviate just the the absolute gut punch that this virus has been to the league at, at present. And Fortunately for the league, it has not been an overwhelming amount of positive tests. Unfortunately, though, it has been an immense amount of very key guys on a lot of rosters that have been put in a safety protocol as a part of contact tracing. Now, the NBA has made some modifications to what they're going to allow players and coaching staff to do um, as far as travel, as far as, you know, them being around other individuals. Um, I believe, to put it shortly and simply, uh, when they go to their hotel, that's the only place they're going to be allowed to be. There's no longer going to be given the friends and family passes. Uh, they're not going to be allowing any kind of significant others or guests to be accompanying or visiting these individuals as they're traveling to these different markets. Uh, I don't believe these guys are even going to be allowed to go out to dinner. Um, that's pretty much what it is at this point. And, of course, this could not have been decided and put into effect without the Players Association also agreeing to this. Um, and, and, you know, it's unfortunate. We saw how the bubble, you know, I think negatively impacted a lot of guys mentally. And I, I don't think anybody could blame them. We we all know how rough 2020 has been for a lot of different reasons. And I think sometimes we assume just because these guys make millions of dollars that they don't feel. Uh, they do feel. We, 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 we definitely need to acknowledge that. They have feelings. Um, they have emotions. And I think that all those things are valid. Um, but the NBA's got to figure this out. You know, this this was the issue. We saw what happened with the NFL. We saw what happened with baseball. Okay, and now we're talking about an indoor high contact sport. It was a matter of time. It was a ticking time bomb. And like I said, fortunately, most of this has been contact tracing. It has not been an overwhelming amount of positive tests. However, you have had some clusters, such as the Dallas Mavericks, who I believe have maybe like eight or some players that I believe actually tested positive. So that's kind of concerning. Um, you hope that all those guys are okay. But I mean, even just today, Zion Williamson is put into health and safety protocols and will not be playing this evening. Guys are dropping left and right. Games are getting postponed. Um, and you wonder if those postponements are going to turn into outright cancellations. And that's unfortunate because for a league that speaks so highly and often of competitive balance, and we thought we were finally getting that in the league this year with some more even distribution of talent across the conferences it's looking very shortly and simply like there is not going to be a competitive balance in the nba because a lot of these teams aren't going to be able to make up these games if this continues they're, they're just not i mean we are in an absolute sprint to the nba playoffs they are trying everything that they can in their power to avoid staring down the barrel of the upcoming tokyo olympics and having to compete for a revenue share on television during that if that happens let's cross our fingers and hope we get there um, so the NBA, they, they have a lot to think about. And I feel like with every day and with every player put into protocol, we are inching closer and closer to a temporary suspension of play or into a brand new bubble. And 
very clearly the situation as it is is already disproportionately affecting some franchises more than others not only with the with the tests and the health and safety protocol situation but for example the toronto raptors who have been completely displaced and put into a whole new market in a completely different country i mean and, and it's shown in, in the way that they came out the gates. I mean, they have struggled. I mean, most recently, Pascal Siakam had his first career triple-double, but the Ra- the Raptors as a, as a whole have, have really, really struggled in Tampa. And, uh, you know, you, you could make the argument, and I've heard some guys say, well, you know, that's part of being a pro. You know, you have to know how to adjust because you'll end up on, you know, different rosters and different markets, et cetera. Well, granted, but you know what the difference is? Your family usually comes with you, okay? You usually have your people, all right? They don't have any of that right now. They don't. And, and it's very, very unfortunate. And it's because, again, of coronavirus. So the NBA, has, they, they've, got, they've got to figure this out because it's getting out of hand more and more with every passing day. So, I mean, I'm going to kick it to you first, Alan. As, as you've kind of been watching all this news, you know, unravel and guys dropping left and right here going into protocol, what has been your biggest cause for concern or takeaway? Well, you covered a lot of the, the big aspects of it. Like you, you, you hit the nail on the head that this was just there was never going to be a situation where this was not going to be an issue for the league. They they had no choice. The financial ramifications uh, they determined were just too great to not go through with this season. Thirty teams flying around the country, playing in indoor stadiums with just just guys throughout the roster who have. You know, they, they, there were restrictions, but they, they were still interacting with people. And as you can see, it's there's no real way to, to get a hold of people from going out and just doing stuff in public. Like we saw James Harden do and that we've seen Kyrie Irving do in some of those videos. And I get it. it just there is no the, the, the point. There is no way that the league can get through this unscathed. And I, I don't think and I really think that it's going to be more likely that you're just going to have teams who don't make it all the way to 72 games, then it, there will be any, then any sort of suspension of play because the finances are going to be tight. There, there's clearly this, this, this window that the league is trying to operate in to maximize viewership for the regular season, for all these, uh, for all these 30 markets and the playoffs too. Like the, I mean, the, the playoff money is really what this is all going to be about. Um, making, it just feels really unlikely that they would risk doubling up like their 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 peak finals viewership money with the star of the Olympics. It feels like it's almost impossible that they'd let that happen over anything else. And you know, it's it, it's, it feels scummy to say that, but like because you know we're talking about like human beings <laughs> going out there and putting themselves in, uh, just exposing themselves in the middle of a pandemic. But we all this is they're all playing and the league the league's playing and all the players are playing for the same reason that they need to they need to make their money. And if they don't see it through, then the league is gonna have some financial repercussions that will reverberate for years down the line. Players, especially like younger players, you know, who haven't gotten paid yet, they have they have a ton of incentive to come to, to play in this season. It's it, you know, the, the the dynamic of the Oklahoma City Thunder right now, I'm sure you guys saw the comments from George Hill. The other day about the new restrictions, um, compared to that, the comments made by Shea Gilgis Alexander, it was a really interesting difference um, between the two. You guys, you guys saw what they say? Yeah, I, I saw that basically you're, uh, th- that no one's going to tell him that he can't go see his family, and that obviously, you know, how other people are willing to, you know, 
and I'm not going to call them, you know, sacrifices as far as, you know, some people are willing to take them, others are not, because rightfully so, you want to be around your family and, and you want to be able to see them and him being the age that he is and his kids being older and being more aware of, you know, their father and his presence or whatnot with the season going on. He's going to definitely say that where Shade probably doesn't have any kids yet and doesn't have a family like that. Uh, so it's easy for him to kind of just block out. But yeah, but yeah, it, it just speaks to, you know, like you said, those who are trying to come into the money and come into themselves in the NBA and others who have kind of been there, done that in this league. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's just, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander, like his quote specifically was, uh, it's challenging, obviously, not being used to all the protocols and all the rules. But for me personally, it's what's necessary. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of this COVID thing. And if it means wearing my mask on the bench the whole time, it is what it is. I just got to do it. Um, you know, the, George Hill, I think in the grand scheme of things, he's he's right in that he believes that these restrictions aren't going to address the underlying issue here, which is that this is a high contact sport in closed arenas and that the virus is going to find its way in. You can restrict people in, in team huddles, and you can, you can stop people from interacting on the court, and you can stop people from being in the locker room for longer than 10-minute stretches. But ultimately, the virus is going to find its way to people as long as the season continues the way it is. And it's just going to have to come down to you either opt in or you opt out. If you don't want to adhere to the restrictions, then you you can opt out of the season at this point. And, and, and I'm not trying to be harsh about it, but let's just it's, it has to be black and white like that. George Hill can't. I don't think I, mean, I don't think it's right for a player to opt in to get the, to 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 make their money, while also undermining like this undermining like the the objectives of the team, which is to keep all the different people in their lives safe. I mean, it. He, I don't think George Hill would have said that if he were on if Greg Popovich was he was on the Spurs and Greg Popovich was his coach. I mean, he's at risk. You know, he's a guy who, in particular, that you'd be looking to keep the virus away from. I, I don't know if you could you could justify someone, you know, skirting these restrictions because they're too restrictive. Uh, I couldn't think of another word there, but yeah, they're just too restrictive. You don't want to adhere to them. There are implications that are beyond yourself. And your family. And I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize this point because he, he should have the ability to interact with his family. But everyone knew coming into this, it was going to be hard. And when it's motivated by factors like this with money, you know, it's, it's going to have to be black and white. And that's just kind of the reality of it. Absolutely. I mean, we all we all know that there are bigger things to life than than your paycheck. But for the NBA, I mean, they're incredibly financially motivated to pull this off. Um, and we know what what an incredible financial burden the NBA bubble was. So I think that they're trying to do everything they can to avoid having to go back into a bubble. And with the George Hill situation, I, I completely echo your sentiment, Alan. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, like I said, that's that's the part about being a professional. You know, you signed up for, you come to work, and you do your job. Sometimes your job sucks, but that's why it's a job. That's why it's not called fun. It's a different three-letter word. Job, okay? Like, there are worse things. You look around the country of all the people who wish that they had a three-letter word, a job. They don't. They don't. Okay. So, I mean, there there are clearly bigger things here. But in in some ways, you know, I I definitely see where George Hill is coming from, just with his frustration in the NBA's. I don't want to word this carefully because I know Adam Silver is one of our most dedicated listeners. Um, hey, Hi, Adam. Adam, I appreciate your viewership. 
Um, the NBA has been acting very, very hypocritically. And the reason I say that is because when we went into a bubble last summer, one of the, and we know this now, but we believed it going in, one of the safest places in the country and safest ways to pull this off, they were telling people who were a certain age that they couldn't even come to the bubble, okay? But now you got coaches and four different hotels and five nights. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand that. You have guys sitting on a bench, active on a roster, the night after they just played in another game, test positive, and you pull them from the game, yet allow the game to continue. You, you. Put a guy into health and safety protocols for dapping up an opponent post-game. But not when that was his chief and primary defensive assignment for the entirety of the game. There's just so many things that have not made sense with the NBA's health and safety protocol measures. And I don't expect them to anytime soon because the NBA is scrambling because this is not the way that they should have approached this season. They shouldn't have. And I know what, like I said, a financial burden it would have been to invest and reinvest into another bubble or potential mini bubbles across the country for an NBA season. I understand what a logistical nightmare that could have been, but you know what's an even bigger logistical nightmare? Having to contact trace your entire league. Okay. At present, 16 players of 497 in the league have tested positive since January 6th for the coronavirus. A week ago, there was four positive tests. A week ago. We know how this virus is running through the country, running through the world, okay? The NBA would be very foolish to assume that they have immunity, okay? I don't know what kind of herd they're in, okay? But it's not the right one. And they're seeing it happen right now. So they have every impetus to act quickly and figure out a solution before this turns into a problem that they do not know how to solve. And David, you alluded to it. I mean, money was the motivation to even get this season started when it was. Because remember, most of the players wanted this to happen, you know, around this time, maybe a little bit after Uh, But, you know, because of the push to get these Christmas Day games and whatnot and the MLK Day slot, which, I mean, they would have still gotten if they would have started the season a little bit later. They could have missed this wave that happened with Thanksgiving, the wave for Christmas travel, even though they were all playing. But still, that's when cases really took a a a uptake here in this country and New Year's and whatnot. They were motivated by the money. And it's because of their, you know, motivation for money that it could end up being a situation where, unfortunately, they might have to do a stoppage of play. And like you said, do a contact tracing for the whole league and kind of get this thing in check, because we know that, you know, the Lakers and the Sixers and whatnot, they have they have the best records in the NBA right now. But unfortunately, COVID is undefeated. And COVID has already had a run-in with the 76ers. And the last thing you want is COVID having a run-in with the Los Angeles Lakers, with the Los Angeles Clippers, with the Milwaukee Bucks, the other top-tier teams in the league. 
And the more games that, you know, that are canceled, that's TV revenue money they're missing out on uh, in the regular season, no matter how big or small the matchups are. And that's why they wanted to play in market because they wanted to get the revenue money in market, which, I mean, they were still getting that in the bubble, but they wanted to see if they can have some fans at some point in the stands, uh, see them playing their arenas and get usage because they pay millions and millions of dollars to upkeep these arenas. And just like the Chase Center, which had was, you know, erected last year. And I don't know how I can't count how many games they actually had in the arena with fans. So money is the motivation, but they really got to have to figure out how to get a handle on this uh, because cases are spiking all over the country. They're traveling. And you mentioned how, you know, people are guarding people in games and that person is testing positive, but they're not going back and testing the other player. It's kind of some, it's a lot of inconsistencies. And we saw the NFL just get through a season so they can brag, say that we did not move. We did not cancel any games, but at what cost? At what cost? I mean, like I said, the New Orleans Saints had to play against the Denver Broncos who didn't have a quarterback on our roster. We're, we're already seeing situations like the 76ers and the Heat tonight having eight players just to play in a game. And that's not good for TV. That's not good for business. That's not good for competition. So they're going to have to figure out something in order to get this handled because it's not going to get better anytime soon. Especially when we hear, you know, reports that this thing is mutating around the world and people are getting vaccinating, but sometimes this mutation is, you know, the the vaccine is not resistant to the mutations and whatnot. Uh, I don't know if that's the right medical terminology to use there, but you guys get what I'm saying. It's just, it's a lot of working pieces. And like I said, COVID-19 is undefeated right now. They're the only undefeated element in the NBA right now. So... Until they get a win from coronavirus, which I don't know how that's possible at this point without stopping the season and kind of resetting everything, we're going to continue to get what we're getting right now. I agree, Brad. I, I agree. And until, like I said, like we've all said, until the NBA realigns its principles and the the investment of resources to ensure the wealth and health of the league until they're willing to do that as a whole, because it's going to take everybody willing to invest and buy into that. We're going to continue to see these problems. And I mean, a great start would be across the board, decide if you're going to allow fans to be in the games or not. Okay. It's, it's crazy to me that in some markets they're allowing fans in and in others, it's a complete non-starter. Consistency is key. We know that. To consistently do things, not only to ensure, you know, the the product that you have, the billion dollar product that you have to perform and, and be seen at its highest level offered. OK, but you need to have consistency in order to protect yourself in the midst of this pandemic. Okay? You need to have consistency. And the NBA is lacking that severely at present. They're lacking it severely. And like we all said, nobody can fix it but them. The players can't fix it. Okay, and the players aren't going to buy in until it makes sense. So just make it make sense. Well, in that regard, unless you guys have anything else to touch on, I mean, I, I, I feel like you know, obviously, we can talk about COVID forever, which is unfortunate because I wish it would just go away forever. Um, <laughs> but this isn't a medical podcast; this is a basketball podcast, and. 
for those of you listening, I definitely hope that you appreciate and enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I definitely want to just say how much I appreciate both of you guys coming on today and joining me on today's inaugural episode, you know, getting this, getting this started here. Very, very excited about this new show on the network. We're going to be covering everything on and off the court, um, all sorts of moves, legal and illegal. That's why we call it the double dribble. Okay. We take it out of bounds, all sides and sounds, and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be along for the ride with us. And I'm hoping that these two guys are definitely going to be some recurring and regular voices on the podcast but when they're not on my podcast they do really really great work for the network they do a lot of really awesome things and i definitely want to let both of them give a little bit of a a little self shout out here you know i'm all about the self-promotion so i'm gonna kick it over to brad because i know he i know he's got a lot of things going on in the network and you know he's 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 burning bright right now down in ATL. You know, he, he's, he's really doing his thing for the Atlanta Hawks. So, Brad, let the people listening to today's podcast know what you got going on, where they can find you, and what you're cooking up for the network next. Thank you, David. I appreciate you having me on the show, and I appreciate, you know, being with my friend, Alan Sroki, who is a regular guest on Who Ball Hawks, which is what I got cooking up. We break down everything related to the Atlanta Hawks game breakdowns, Box scores, storylines, you name it. We talk about it regarding the Hawks. So check us out. Follow us at HoopBallHawks on Twitter. Follow myself, Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T-67. David's been on there. Alan's been on there. We have many of our esteemed colleagues from HoopBall on there as well and some other outside sources as well uh, with some, from some other publications. We're going to continue to add that element to the show. So before I kick it over to Allen, shout out to the New York area booty clubs because they're going to be up this summer. They're going to be up this summer. I just wanted to end on that, and I'm going to kick it to you, Allen. Uh, I think, Brad, along with some of your FX stock, I think, you've, I think you have some investments that you haven't divulged to, to David and I in some of the New York area clubs. Um, That's what it, I'm it, no comment. Alan. No comment. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Um, but, uh, David, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing where you take this podcast down the line. It's another great addition to all the stuff that, uh, hoop has been putting out lately. Uh, I'm, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, my name, Alan Srochi, A-L-A-N-S-R-O-C-H-I. Uh, I'm currently, uh, doing some writing. Um, uh, I'm on the writing side right now, doing the daily dish on every Monday where I, uh, break down the biggest headline of that night, get you an injury report, which and in a, in a COVID uh, report, those are two separate things now that requires a, a meticulous detail. Make sure that you guys have all that information you need for your fantasy lineups. And I go over some, uh, some interesting stats too at the end of the article. I've been having a lot of fun with those. So check that out. And you can all, and on Twitter too is where I do a lot of uh, talking about basketball in general um, and fantasy analysis too. Um, I'm, Got a lot to pour through with the four-team trade that has transpired. I think after making through the podcast, there have been no other names added uh, to the mix there. But, yeah, you guys can if – you, if you have fantasy basketball teams, regardless of setting, give me a follow there. I'm happy to answer any and all questions. You heard them both. Check them out on Twitter. Check out what they're doing for the network. Brad has got a bunch of episodes for you to consume at your leisure. He has a whole cobble of different hosts that he's brought on, industry experts, leading voices, and names that you need to know, talking about everything Atlanta Hawks. So definitely check him out. Please, please, please 
like, rate, review, follow, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And Alan has got you with the Daily Dish, your fantasy wish. Oh, my goodness. What a gift it is. Please check it out. If you're doing fantasy right now and you haven't looked at the Daily Dish very clearly, you have not been playing fantasy. Okay? You've been living one because he's got all the info that you need to know. Okay? So definitely check him out. Brad's friend as well as my friend. I'm going to borrow that from Brad. My friend, Alan. I appreciate both you guys hopping on the podcast today. And your host, you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, sometimes in Whole Foods, DFB underscore three. Check me out. We're going to have a lot of episodes, a lot of fun content coming from the network. And I hope that you will tune in every single time. For all of us here at the Double Dribble, I appreciate you. Wherever you are, stay healthy. Stay happy. And keep hooping. Talk to y'all soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.